0: Amen, how exciting. Please turn with me to Second Samuel chapter 14. We're continuing to make our way through 2 Samuel. I'm, I'm getting a little slower. Uh, Mike told me I could not get through 1 and 2 Samuel in a year. I, I cheated. I started a little bit in uh, the end of 2022. And I'm slowing down a little bit here as we get through these chapters. So we'll see. You know nothing says Christmas like Second Samuel is always what I. <laughs> it's always what I say. <laughs> well, we last week we looked at the, the covenant family in crisis. Remember David's sin with Bathsheba took place, and the Lord told him that there would be uh, the fallout from that, and indeed he's he's experiencing that. And as we look at chapter 13, we, we, we talked about some words of warning to our young people. I asked our young people to consider some things as uh, kind of your, your uh, pastor dad, to, to kind of think about some of these things. Uh, this morning, we're going to begin talking to, to, to parents more specifically. But let's, uh, let's look at 2 Samuel 14. As we look at some of these things, we're going to spend a couple weeks here in this, this chapter as we talk about uh, parents who provoke their, their children and some things that we can, can think through for that. So if you're able to, uh, please stand with me as, as we read God's Word together. we we'll look looking at 2 Samuel chapter 14. Reading the first 21 verses of, of uh, chapter 14. Now Joab, the son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Koah and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner. And, and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her, hate, on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, save me, O king. And the king said to her, what is your trouble? She answered, alas, I'm a widow. My husband is dead and Your servant had two sons, and they quarreled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant, and they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy the air also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, on me be the guilt, my lord, the king, and on my father's house, let the king and his throne be guiltless. The Lord said, if anyone says anything, the king said, if anyone says anything to you, bring him to me and he shall never touch you again. Then she said, please let the king invoke the Lord your God, the the avenger of blood, kill no more. And my son be not destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my Lord the King. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision the king convicts himself, and as much as the king does not bring home his banished one again, we must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God, will not take away my, uh, but God will not take away life, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your servant thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant." For the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servant thought, The word of my king the, the word of my Lord the King will set me at rest, for my Lord the King is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord your God be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my Lord the King speak. The king said, is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, as surely as you live, my lord the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has said. It was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my Lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this, go, bring back the young man, Absalom. You may be seated. May God strengthen and encourage us through the reading of his living word this morning. And Heavenly Father, as we look to, to this passage, we would ask that you would strengthen the hearts of, of those who would be inclined to be discouraged as they, they look at this passage. Uh, we know that there are, are some uh, who have uh, children who are walking away from the truth. We, we know that there are some who have children whose hearts are, are set against them and we know that there are some children whose parents are in possession of hearts set against them, and we pray for you through the work of your Spirit to soften hearts, that your gospel would take effect and would cause those hearts that are far from you, that are hardened toward you to be brought near, to be softened to respond to the truth of the gospel, to, to worship you in spirit and in truth, and that, that worship of you would, would flow into the relationships with one another. We pray for healing. We pray as we look at, at some principles of, of parenting and nurturing our children and what not to do and what to do. We pray that we would look to you, the author, the, the perfecter of our faith, that we would not be discouraged as we look at ourselves, but that we'd be encouraged as we see the, the great work of our shepherd, Jesus Christ. We pray that the Spirit would instruct us this morning for the glory of your great name, and we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So as we've already mentioned, we see David's sin bearing fruit in the life of, of his family. One of the best summaries of the relationship between A child and their parent, who are both in Christ, is found in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember in the book of Ephesians, we have the first three chapters that talk about the gospel and and how we respond to the gospel, how God brings us from death to life as we place our faith in Jesus Christ. We receive eternal life as we place our faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Then the rest of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 through 6, talk about life in Christ, Okay, you know we're in Christ, we've responded to the gospel now. How do we live? And for example, chapter five talks about the relationship between husbands and wives who are both in Christ. and then in Ephesians six talks about the relationship, the, the new relationship in Christ between parents and children. We read in Ephesians chapter six, this, this great summary of what the relationship is supposed to be like. "Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your." Father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And then it says this to, to fathers, but by extension to, to mothers as well. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so to parents, we see both a, a negative prohibition, don't do this, and then we see something positive, this is what you should do. So don't provoke your children, don't, don't make them uh, hardened to the faith, don't don't do things that are going to make them uh, irritable, frustrated, hardened to the gospel. But instead, nurture, cultivate hearts of faith as the Lord works through His Word. Last week, remember, we had some special words for those of you who are young people. I, I asked where the the young people in the the audience were. The, this morning my audience is more specifically on parents. Now, there are some things that all of us, whether we have children or not, I believe can glean from God's word here, even if it's just how to pray for parents. But this morning, my audience is is to you parents in particular, and and maybe I'm thinking even especially of those of you who are parents of younger children. So, so where are my parents at this morning? Where are the parents in the house? Okay, good, all right, great. Now, uh, parents, and kids, don't take this personally. Um, Parents, how many of you are just weary this morning in your parenting? Again, because this isn't personal. Yeah. Okay, my hands raised, not just as illustration. And some of you are not telling the truth this morning. That's fine. <laughs> the Lord will do what the Lord will do, right? Many of you are weary in parenting. Parenting? I don't think it's a controversial statement. Parenting parenting's a tough gig, right? It's very difficult to parent in a godly way. We're on the pastoral staff retreat. We went out two weeks ago today, and we stopped at a Culver's, and we were getting ready to have dinner there, and one of the tables was just a little bit wobbly, and I saw some some napkins and on the floor and a couple more, and so I just kind of stuffed them underneath one of the legs, and Jake saw me do that. He goes, well, Daniel, why don't you just turn the knob on the bottom of the table, you know, lower this one, raise this one. I thought, oh yeah, that, that would be a lot easier, and as Whitney and I were talking about it later, I was like, wouldn't it be great if our kids just had these little knobs? <laughs> some of my kids some of my kids need a knob turned this way, and I was telling Whitney, some of our kids need a knob turned the other way, a lot, a little, whatever, different kids need different things, and then Whitney kind of looked at me, and I thought, oh, she's thinking if I had a knob, you <laughs> know, turned in a little bit this way, this is what he needs, a little bit that way, that's what he needs. But it's not that simple, is it, right? It's hard. You know, last week I said my goal is to kind of be pastor dad. Uh, this week I'm going to be pastor brother uh, to a lot of you. Maybe older brother for some of you, younger brother for, for others of you. Uh, and, and just to kind of, not the annoying know-it-all older brother, but just the, the brother that has some words of encouragement for you. Many of you are doing great things, and I want to just encourage you in that. I, I, I used to give... I used to know a lot more about parenting than I know now. Uh, I used to give way too detailed advice and encouragement, but I want to just talk about some biblical principles as we look at, at David's life and hopefully some words of encouragement. Uh, by the way, as I give some practical examples of, of, of things to do or not do in parenting, uh, remember our, our goal is to encourage one another, right? Right? And so if I give some examples and later you look at a parent and you see that maybe they're not applying all the principles the same way we've talked about this morning, or we talk about how kids should be behaving and you're out there in the, in the hallway and you see someone's kid not behaving in the, the way that, you know, we've talked about how kids are supposed to behave and you look at the parents and why aren't they responding the way that, you know, we talked about how parents should be responding. That's not our goal this morning, right? Grace, right? Grace. We do not know what is going on in each other's lives. Uh, only once we know what's going on in each other's lives should really be asking a lot of follow-up questions in some of these things at times. But but uh, we don't know as we look at a kid who's misbehaving. We have no idea what's gone on in that child's life over the last 12 hours, the last 12 years. You know, many children we look at, we say well, the kid's here, they, they should be there, but we we don't realize it. Whereas um, many kids have started here. This kid started here, and so the things that you're seeing behaviorally for them are actually signs of great encouragement for their parents and so let's as we talk about this thing these things what's our word grace right grace as we try to encourage each other in these things but I want to look at last week again we looked at children who reject their parents faith we talked about some signs that you might be a child who's rejecting your parents faith and this week we're going to talk about parents who provoke their children and our main idea was this only God only God can give us the strength only God can give us the strength to be faithful parents and children, and only he can comfort us when we fail. It's only God who gives us the ability to be faithful in these areas, and when we fail, not if, when we fail, for certainly we shall, it's only to God that we can turn for comfort and repentance and asking for his continued strength. So again, last week, first point, we looked at children, children who, provoke, children who reject children, their parents' faith in chapter 13 primarily, and now this morning we're looking at parents who provoke their children, and we're going to look at five foundations of biblical nurturing. So what does it look like to, to nurture biblically? And we're going to look at five foundations this week and next. We won't get through as many this morning, uh, again, as is our custom, uh, but we're going to kind of lay some some foundational work here as we look at these five foundations of biblical nurturing, doing what God has called us to do As parents, here's the first one. Number one, the first foundation of biblical nurturing is a God-centered goal. Okay, A God-centered goal. David, for all the great things about his life, David doesn't have a God-centered goal in his parenting. His parenting is a huge gap in his spiritual life. His parenting is is child centered not god centered. David seems to vacillate between wanting to do the right thing and and fearing to do the right thing because he's afraid of what it will cost him in his relationship with his children now this in this passage, we see him over and over again exalting the child instead of god and in this text, there's some ambiguities that that are are kind of hard to understand exactly what's going on. first, second Samuel fourteen is actually very difficult and some of the ambiguities that exist here, but what comes through clearly is that David is not willing to do some hard things. In fact, this chapter I think makes more sense as we look at some examples outside of this text. So look in your Bibles with me at 2 Samuel 13, the chapter before, and remember what we saw last week. Last week we see this son Amnon uh, commit this horrible violence against his half-sister. And then David, it says in uh, 2 Samuel 13, he finds out about it. And, And look what the text tells us. It says in verse 21, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And then what did he do? Nothing. That's it. He got angry. If you look at your footnotes, some of your Bibles have this, this, uh, this additional text. That we, we, many manuscripts don't contain this additional note, but many do. And I, I think there's a lot of evidence that this was in the original text that the author of 2 Samuel wrote. Originally, the, the verse might have said this. It says in verse 21, when King, when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry, but he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him because he was his firstborn. So, in other words, David is angry, but he doesn't discipline him. He doesn't do anything to him. And it says because he loved him, but that's again kind of this idea of, of love that's a perversion of what biblical love is. He, he doesn't want to damage that relationship. He doesn't want to displease his child, and so he doesn't do anything. This goes right along with what we see in 1 Kings chapter 1. In 1 Kings chapter 1, We're not going to get to that in this study, but in 1 Kings chapter 1, David has another son, Adonijah, verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 1. He exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And then verse 6 says this about David in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6. His father, David, had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? David doesn't want to displease David his children he has a, a goal for his parenting but this goal for his parenting is not a god-centered goal it's a child-centered goal he values his relationship with these children more than he values honoring god david doesn't have a biblical goal you and i need to have a biblical those of us who are parents need to have a biblical goal in our parenting. If you're a friend of a parent in this church, you'd be praying that they would have a biblical goal for their, their shepherding of their children. My dad uh, used to tell me this, <laughs> whenever, and not, not when I had done something well. Uh, he would look at me, he'd, say, he'd, he'd have some sort of discipline and say, look, I don't care if you like me when you leave this house, I'm going to make a man out of you, right? And I, I, I wanted to ask, really? Like, you don't care if I like you at all? But it was never the right time uh, to ask that, you know. That was dad's goal. I'm going to make a man out of you and any other biblical goals as well. But but parents, what I would suggest is that we all struggle with thinking rightly about what our goal is. Our goal isn't ultimately to make our children like us. Our goal isn't to make our children just happy about life. What is our goal? Let me suggest to you that this is a biblical goal. Our goal is, is to glorify God. The goal of parenting is to glorify God as you strive to nurture within your child a heart that trusts and treasures God. The goal of parenting is to glorify God, not your child, as you strive to nurture within your child a heart that trusts and treasures God. Now, what this what this understanding lets us know is that we don't have a a guarantee of success in this. In other words, I can't say I'm a successful parent based on how my my child responds to the truths of of God's word. My goal is simply to strive as I can to be faithful in this, right? And when I fail to to not, uh, when I fail to to strive to nurture within my child a heart that trusts and treasures God, what am I going to do? I'm going to repent, ask God, Lord help me to do this more faithfully, and then I'm going to Strive to do it more and more. That's, that's my goal. We see this, this goal here in, in Ephesians 6. We see this in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And, and then he says, as, as you do this, you're to help your children know how to love God as well. To strive to, to love him as well. That's, that's what we're doing in our youth ministry. That's what we're doing in our parenting. We're laying out before our kids. Okay, kids, here's a life of treasuring God that leads to life and, and happiness. Here's a, a life of loving the world that leads to, to death and destruction. We're laying those, we're striving to, to, to show our children what it looks like to trust in God and treasure Christ. David fails, right? My, my encouragement to you as parents would be to, to look out for those obstacles in your parenting. We can fail to pursue this goal by, by replacing that biblical goal with unbiblical goals and, and all of us who are parents, struggle with this. My suggestion would be look look at your calendar, analyze your conversations with your children, look at what you're watching on TV with them, what what you're spending your time doing. And as you do that, as you look at your calendar, as you look at your checkbook, as you look at your, your time with your children, what you're doing with them, perhaps it would reveal that you consciously or unconsciously have other goals for your children than helping them know and love the Lord. At our birthdays, our kids will go around and we'll kind of go around as a family and we'll share what we appreciate about each person in the family. And at my birthday, one of the things that my children said is they appreciate about me how productive I am and how I help them be productive as well. I think one of my children in their phone, my name is like the get it done guy or something like that, you know. I own that, but but I hope that's not the ultimate objective they they think that I have for their lives. I don't care if they never check a task off a to-do list. Well, that's strong. (laughs) I care. But compared to the value of, of knowing and treasuring Christ, I don't care. That's my goal. The whole purpose of my parenting is to, to lay before them that, the path of life and say, look, this is what it looks like in a life to love and treasure Christ. This is what it looks like with your friends. This is what it looks like in terms of the job you choose. This is what it looks like in terms of how you go to school. This is what it looks like when you, you play sports. All these things are, 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 are not even secondary. They're, they're just paths to that ultimate of knowing and loving and treasuring Christ. And may God help us as we strive to avoid communicating anything different. We also practice unbiblical goals when when we create child-centered homes, right? So we have these, we can replace biblical goals with unbiblical goals. We can also fail to achieve that purpose whenever whenever we are Provoking them. Our goal is to is to cultivate, right? Ephesians tells us it's it's to cultivate. That's the the overarching objective. It's the main instruction in Ephesians six to to bring up or or nurture. It's like a it's like what you do with a plant, right? Whitney loves plants. It was her birthday this this past week and. So I was thinking about what sort of plants she likes. And oftentimes when we go on a walk, she'll, she'll say, oh, I, I smell honeysuckle. And I thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll get her a, a honeysuckle bush. And so we've got a little honeysuckle bush and I gave it to her for her birthday. And, and, and she opened it and stuff. And she goes, oh, a honeysuckle. I said, yeah, a honeysuckle. They smell good. And she said, well, um, how, much, how much shade does it need? I said, I don't, I don't know. What kind of soil does it need? ground soil? I don't know <laughs> how you do that. And she goes, well, uh, yeah, well, so she, I can tell I haven't really researched this gift very well. So I, I, as we're talking, I'm, I Google it, and, and I, I see it. It says, you know, a honeysuckle is a class three noxious weed that has been banned in many states because of how invasive it is. So in other words, I just bought my wife a class three noxious weed for her birthday. So what I said out loud is, I don't think you'll have any trouble getting this thing to grow. <laughs> That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> Children aren't weeds. They grow like weeds, but they're not weeds. You've got to think about it. What's, what shade do they need? What sort of soil do they need? It's going to take nurturing. We have to think proactively about what our, what our goal is. Now, many of us are, are engaged in provocative parenting. We create these child-centered homes where nurturing isn't taking place. We're not willing to do the hard things. Like David, we indulge our children. Our our kids shape our lives, our kids in in a way that's inappropriate. Our our kids believe that the world kind of, we can have this, I've had this tendency as a a parent with younger children. We have this tendency to to train our children to believe that the world is all about them, The, the schedule that we have as a family. If, if we're having, I've, I've had this happen, we've had to, to work on this as a family, we're having a conversation with another adult, and a, a, our kid just runs up and feels like they have the, the freedom to, to interrupt the conversation because the world is all about them, and, and I have to say, uh, my temptation is to stop talking, deal with the kid, and what am I doing? I'm training them that the world revolves around them. <laughs> Some of you do way better at this than we did as, as as parents. Sometimes I've been having a conversation here at church, and a, and a kid has. I look out of the corner of my eye, and there's 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 some poor child that's been standing there for half an hour waiting for me to turn around. And like kids, it's okay if you come up and tap me on the leg when I'm talking to someone else. We we train these child-centered homes, right? Kids come between mom and dad. Kids decide where we're going to go to church. Kids decide that it's okay to disrespect authority, and we train them that it's okay to disrespect authority. By the way, we talk about our boss or the coach or a teacher. 1 Peter 2.13 tells us, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We want to create in our child's heart. We want to, as best we can, strive so the by God's grace, our children have soft hearts that trust and treasure God, that trust and treasure the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how? Well, that brings us to our next foundational truth. There needs to be relational instruction. As we come to the end of, of chapter 13, beginning to go into chapter 14 in a moment, there's, there's something that's been absent, and that has been David's relationship with his children. The names are mentioned. His absence from them is mentioned, but there's no, there's no presence of relational instruction this is a foundation of biblical nurturing. Now, as we look at these verses and look at some principles here, I just want to talk about some things very quickly about relational instruction before we get back and go into chapter 14. Uh, number one, here's some things about relational instruction. Number one, relationship, relational instruction, relationship instruction, requires, first of all, a relationship, right? You can't have relational instruction without there being a relationship in place. In Proverbs, we see a father and son talking to one another. In Exodus, we see as the Passover is described, God says, when your children ask you about such and such. We see this in Joshua. Whenever you're, you're, he says, you know, take the stones from the the riverbed and take them onto the banks and create this monument. And when your children ask you about this, say, such and such about the Lord. We we see this in Deuteronomy that we've six when we're you're, when you're walking around together, talk about the things of the Lord. Uh, one person famously said, "Rules without relationship leads to rebellion." So relational instruction requires relationship. Uh, number two, relational instruction requires listening. So relationship, relational instruction requires relationship. Relationship requires listening. Proverbs 18, 13, he who answers before listening, that's his folly and his shame. Verse 15 of Proverbs 18, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. A good parent doesn't engage in what John Younts in his book, Everyday Talk, calls parent speak. Listen to what he says about parent speak. Parent speak is talking without listening. Anytime you speak without listening, really listening, you engage in parents speak. You may think you have good reasons for not listening. You're tired. You have important decisions, business decisions to consider. There may be a problem in your marriage relationship and so forth. But when your kids talk, you need to listen. And when, when you talk, you need to be prepared to listen. Relational instruction means that there's this, this dialogue that's taking place between me and my children. I don't sit down with my my children at, at night and say, okay, um, thank you for sitting down. Uh, welcome to quiet time, devotional time as a family. I've had this chalkboard, and uh, I'm going to now instruct you in the things of the Lord. Nope, no questions. And I begin to go through a 45-minute presentation. That's not Nurturing. Relational instruction means I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening when they know that I'm listening. I'm listening when they don't, aren't aware that I'm listening. I'm not saying I'm eavesdropping on them, but I'm, <laughs> I'm listening at their door when they don't know that I'm there. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm in the room. They're, they're talking to a friend. I'm, I'm listening to the things they say. We're at dinner table. They begin to tell a story. I'm, I'm listening to the words they use. You know You know what words I'm listening to, listening for a lot of times? adjectives you know well that person is mean or uh, there's a something was cringe or something was uh, you know some other word I'm, I'm listening to some of them because I don't know what they mean but you know I'm, I'm listening for adjective that that crusty cringe mean nice help me understand <laughs> what, what is it what made that person a nice person what made them a a mean friend or i listening to the value words that they use. And I'm, I'm asking follow-up questions. Now, some of you have children who are young, and you're like, Daniel, there aren't enough hours in the day to listen to all the things that they say. I get it, right? You know, But I think part of training them, too, is don't, don't let them ramble on without you listening. You know, say, I'm, I'm listening to things that you say, and I'll, I'll tell you this, there's going to come a day when you will beg them to talk to you and you'll wish that you'd listen better and train them that you want to listen and not train them that you don't want to listen to them anyway, Right? Relational instruction, though, requires, thirdly, it requires instruction, okay? Relational instruction requires instruction. You've you got to teach them some things. It requires taking truth and, and having time where you can communicate it to them. That, that truth to them. You're, you're looking at God's word. You say, I okay, hear the truths of God's word that a young person needs to, to know, needs to learn. And as a mom or a dad or someone who's involved in this child's life, I'm going to teach them these things. And now I, I know not every home has, has a dad, but I would say, especially to you brothers there is a, who, are, who are dads, this is, a, this, this is incumbent upon you to take the leadership in this. Brothers, if I came into your house and asked your children, Did, did dad feed you today? I would trust that none of your children would say, you know what? I think he fed us yesterday, but I, I don't, I don't think we've eaten today. You know, actually it was last week, dad gave us, I think we had macaroni for like five minutes real quickly it was a little cold, but that's okay. You know, if that happened in your home, what would it be? That, that would be physical neglect. Brothers, if I asked your children, has dad fed you spiritually, what, what would they say? If your children would say, well, I think, I think a couple days ago he prayed with us. Maybe last month we read a verse together before school. Brothers, I, I, say, this, I say this in love but firmly. Some of us are guilty of spiritual neglect of our children. Whatever it takes to fix it, do it. If it takes you working less hours, do it. If it takes your, if it takes your children making a, a B minus instead of an A plus on their homework assignment, do it. Whatever it takes to, to create the time where you have the ability to instruct your children in, in things of, of the Word on a daily basis. Now, it doesn't have to be a 45-minute presentation again. It can be, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to read a chapter, a couple paragraphs from the Bible, and we're going to talk about what it means. We're going to pray together. Now, some nights you know, I, might do more, but whatever it takes for you to communicate the truths of God to your children in the context of relationship, you must do it. You must do the things that foster relationship, and you must do the things that allow you to instruct them in the things of the Lord. Do not commit spiritual neglect of your wives and children, brothers. On My dad's tombstone is Psalm 78, 4. Beginning of Psalm 78, give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will utter my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. How are your children, brothers and sisters, going to know the things of the Lord if you do not tell them? You say, that's what Sunday school is for. No, we come alongside and support the things that you're teaching your children. Verse four, we will not, this is what's written on my dad's tombstone, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Brothers, especially, on, on the forefront of your mouth must be the, the wonderful things that the Lord has done in your life. And it needs to, to, to come, here's what. Here's the wondrous deeds that God has done in your mom and my life. These are the, the things that God in his graciousness has done. This is what it means to walk in obedience to the Lord. And then your children need to see you living that out. And for those of you who say, well, you know, there's, there's not a, a father to provide this type of instruction for my kids. Or maybe you're watching your grandkids. God is, is gracious in those things. And, and you need to take that ownership upon yourself as well. God can use you through being faithful to his word as well and do use the church right use the church the church can be a means of god's is a means of god's grace bring your children into the worship service as soon as they're able to 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 benefit from and allow them to to benefit from sunday school from youth group from the different things that god has has given you for your children Use, use children's church to help train them in how to learn about God's Word in the context of a community of faith. Next biblical foundation of nurturing is loving confrontation. Loving confrontation. So again, here's a story. At the end of chapter 13, Absalom has killed his brother Amnon because of what Amnon did to his sister, and he's fled It says, as we come to the end of of chapter 13, that Absalom has gone to Talmai, son of Amahud, king of Gesher, if you remember from 1 Samuel chapter 3. That's his grandfather. So he's gone to stay with his grandfather. And it says at the end of verse 39: the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. And that it's a little bit again, it's ambiguous there. That can mean either to go out against him, or it can mean that he longs to go out and restore that relationship. I think he's talking about. The the restoration of a relationship, but he's also talking about the restoration of a relationship without the desire to do the hard things that that are required for that relationship to be restored biblically. And that brings us to verse 1. It says, now Joab, the son of Zariah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. He knew that the king desired to be reconciled to Absalom, but wasn't willing to to do the hard things necessary for that relationship to be restored biblically, David is willing to engage in biblical, David is unwilling to engage in biblical confrontation of his son, but he also is unwilling to fully be reconciled to him. he 's conflicted about what to do. He just lets the situation sit there. No full restoration through biblical means, no dealing with the problem, just letting it sit there. What David should have done is dealt with the situation head on. Josh Monday yesterday talked to the men about uh, courage. And David should have had some, some courageous parenting here. Uh, parents don't fool yourself failure to address problems in your home won't make them go away now this doesn't mean you address every problem every second of the day there's wisdom in ra- waiting for the right time proverbs twenty-five eleven says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver right words right time but it's also not indefinite you don't let the problem fester There's loving confrontation when needed, which brings us to the fourth thing, and we're not going to get all the way through this, this fourth foundation of biblical nurturing. There's so many things that are going to be part of this. There's consistent discipline. There's consistent discipline is the fourth foundation of biblical nurturing. Let's let's look at the story and the interaction between David and this, this woman. And I want you to notice David's inconsistency. Joab says to this woman to go out and and to talk to David. He says, pretend to be a mourner and and tell him this story. And He gives him these words. And then verse four says, she comes to the king. She falls on her face. She pays homage and she says, save me. And the king says, what's the matter? She says, I'm a widow. My husband is dead. And she lays out this story of these two sons who quarrel in the field. One kills the other. And now, because this one son has killed the other, She says that everyone's saying that the son who killed the other needs to be put to death. But, she says, the reason that they want to put this son to death is not to do justice, but because they want the property, they want the inheritance. Now, notice David's interaction here. Look at verse 8. This this interaction that he has with the, the woman is typical with how David deals with problems within his family. He says, go to your house, verse 8, and I will give orders concerning you. Well, what are the orders? What does that mean? He kind of gives this indication it's going to be positive, but he doesn't spell it out. Uh, that sounds like a good situation. Go to your house and I'll, I'll deal with it. Uh, well, the woman says, verse 9, I think you're saying, basically saying, I, I think you're saying that he doesn't need to die, but someone's still going to want someone to die. So she says, on me be the guilt, okay? So I, I guess what you're saying is I should, I should take the guilt, and you'll be guiltless. Like, I won't tell people that you're not following what God's law says. And the king, so in other words, get more specific, king. And then the king said, well, verse 10, if anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he won't touch you. Now, again, well. What's the legal basis for this? Like, what law are you basing your decision on here? You're giving me kind of your word, but there's no, there's no, there's no biblical rationale for either mercy or punishment. So then the king gets more specific. Look, or, or he says, no one will touch you again. Then she says, well, well please, you know, let's put some teeth to this. Stop being inconsistent. Let the king, verse 11, invoke the Lord, Yahweh, your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more and my son be not destroyed. King, let's deal with the issue here. The issue is I've got someone who wants to kill my son. It's an imaginary situation. You need to get more specific. And so she forces him to say in verse 11, as Yahweh lives, as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son shall fall not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. And the, the woman says, look, basically this is, this is showing your inconsistency because you're unwilling to let Absalom come back. It's a hard passage, but the, the point is that David fails to have a consistent approach to dealing with violations of the law. and He fails to have a consistent approach in his discipline. Next week we'll talk about some principles to help you in your, your discipline of your children. And by God's grace, we, we recognize that, that these, these principles are, are given in his word. Some of these principles are, are given in his word to help us achieve that great goal, uh, to help us have children who know and love the Lord and at least help us to be consistent in our pursuit of that. Let me just close by reading Hebrews chapter 12 as we think about the overarching heart that we're, we're seeking to pursue, and then we'll deal with some more specifics next week as we get more into the text here. Here's what we're reading in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. "'For the Lord disciplines the one he loves.'" But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Our discipline is is imperfect, but our our model for our discipline is, is the Lord who disciplines perfectly, disciplines those he loves for the purpose of our holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, Lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your knees, your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We desire for God to fit us for heaven. And there is no tool that he uses on a more consistent basis to prepare me for heaven than my family right showing me my own weaknesses my own hypocrisies and as my children lovingly point those out at times as my wife kindly prays for me we want the discipline of the lord to fit us for heaven we want god in his kindness to train us To discipline our children as we strive to nurture them in such a way that they will love, they will treasure, they will believe in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the work of the Spirit. I'm going to pray here in just a moment. After I pray, we're going to sing another song, and then it's going to be a benediction, and I'll I'll say this again, but you may just give a a second, give a little bit of like count to 10 or something. Let the people who are part of the church uh, replant, part of covenant, go first, and they're just going to kind of Hang on out there, so we have a chance for those of you who want to kind of say goodbye, give them a hug, say see you later, give them a hug, and uh, just just bless them in that ministry. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for your kindness on us as we as we parent. Uh, we recognize that that we don't have the ability to achieve uh, your task. We recognize that, that many of us are in a situation where. Uh, we would we would love to just uh, we would love to be able to reach inside our our children's heart and adjust something here or adjust something here or take out the old heart and put in a a heart of stone and and put in a heart of flesh but this morning father we are praying to a god who can do exactly that and so we don't know your purposes for our children but we trust that they are good purposes, that they will glorify you, that they will sanctify us. And we pray that your discipline upon, our, upon us would lead to greater holiness. We pray that for our children as well. And we pray for us as, as parents to be faithful in, in building relationship and pursuing your glory and trusting you even in, in hard circumstances where we can't see the path ahead of us. We are convinced of our insufficiency for this and all things. And so we turn to your son Jesus this morning and pray for his work in our lives through the Spirit. In whose name we pray, amen.